0: Hi, I'm Reg Harbeck, and today I'm here with Anna Murray, who is Product Management Director at Rocket Software. Uh, welcome, Anna. Uh, maybe we can start by getting a sense of uh, how did you end up in the mainframe space and at uh, Rocket Software
1: well thanks reg for having me i really appreciate it and that's not a direct answer actually i happen to be in the gap generation where we all thought the mainframe was dying so Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, my story actually begins back in 1999 when i entered the space of automation and i started working for a company who did centralized automation across platforms. And those platforms included mainframe. So included IBM mainframes and Unisys mainframes. And Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work around software development, except writing software. (laughs) And so I've done everything from technical writing to business analysis and quality assurance. And then I helped a team through an agile transformation going from waterfall to scrum, got myself involved Mm -hmm. with the whole agile area, which, uh, as our audience probably knows, and, and, you know, leads to DevOps. And Mm. um, as I got involved with uh, that transformation, I moved into product ownership and then product management. And after I left that company and joined uh, Rocket Software, which was formerly ASG Technologies a couple of years ago, um, they hired me because I knew how to spell IBM. I knew knew this much about mainframe and had some respect for it, but really didn't understand its impact on this Mm. planet. (laughs) And what was really been very interesting is learning, you know, really fully how powerful the mainframe is over the last few Mm. years. And I didn't ever really think it was dying. I just heard it a lot. So I didn't give it much attention. Right. In the nineties or in the two thousands, I, I, kind of figured well it's going away but we serve that customer base and and we'll take care of them as long as it's around. And then I got to ASG and learned the power of the mainframe and learned mm-hmm. to love the mainframe community and understand mm-hmm. its place in this world and then Rocket acquired us uh, last year sometime and so now we're all rocketeers and mm-hmm. very excited because Rocket brings with it a, a really strong tradition of mainframe love. And mm. so I now manage products at Rocket Software for automating DevOps uh, value streams for our customers. And we connect the dots from mainframe to cloud. And that's where I'm very passionate about helping DevOps teams be able to automate their uh, DevOps tool chain across their entire environment. And you know that can be really challenging when you're trying to blend your mainframe and distributed systems and we talk to customers every day who are facing those challenges.
0: Well, oh, Well, you you touched on a number of really interesting things. <laughs> One of them, of course, is just the the idea of of uh, DevOps. You know, so many of these things like DevOps, like ITIL, a bunch of other things, you know, had their starts. You know, virtualization had their beginnings on the mainframe in the 60s and 70s, and in many ways, really were fully um, manifested in the 70s. And then we've had this whole journey of the rest of IT sort of picking up the, the uh, burden and, and then slowly discovering the mainframe. And on the one hand, learning lessons from the mainframe, but on the other hand, sometimes teaching lessons to the mainframe. Uh, mm-hmm. And so everybody kind of moves forward on that. Um, but the other thing you, you touched on that I just want to mention before I ask you the next question is the community. You know, that uh, it is such a spectacularly interesting and important part of the mainframe that no matter how excellent the technology is, that the community is not merely excellent, but wonderful. Uh, and and I sense that that's been a part of your journey of, of learning that you learned not just the technology but the community. So maybe uh, if you can paint a uh, sort of a picture of how your journey toward DevOps has also been a community journey.
1: Uh-huh. Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, as I've gone through really the agile transformations, and when I learned about Scrum, right? I went and I became mm-hmm. a, a certified Scrum Master and ultimately a certified Product Owner and the Agile Manifesto really spoke to me, right? Because mm. the very num- number one value in Agile Manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes. Mm. And I- I'm very much about working with people. In fact, I think part of mm. what makes me a successful product manager is learning to listen to the different people on a team. And as my journey has uh, progressed and I talk to an engineer or a QA person or technical writer then to product marketing or marketing and then sales, you know, a long time ago before I had learned all of this, I thought, oh, if I'm talking to marketing or sales, it's the same thing. And it's not. <laughs> marketing mm-hmm, yeah. people think differently than sales mm-hmm. think. And sale, we all, as you know, if you talk to an engineer, they don't understand marketing or sales at all <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because engineers think differently. And so for me, I had been learning that over time anyway. And so as I learned more about the mainframe community, which is heavily engineers, right? I learned a long time ago that mainframe engineers were different than distributed engineers. They communicated differently, generally speaking. And it took me a long time to try and figure out why. And I think part of it has been that there's just been this big disconnect between distributed and mainframe for so long mm, yes and those silos are just so strong that like these people don't even talk to each other <laughs> and mm. and they're forced mm-hmm. to and they like feel disrespected by the other one and so then their shields go up and it becomes difficult mm-hmm. oh. oh yeah <laughs> so I, I've had that experience and and to me the journey for DevOps and the the individuals and interactions over processes and tools just sticks with me, not just for agile and scrum, but for DevOps, DevOps is super tool heavy, right? We talk Mm. about tools and there's hundreds or thousands of DevOps tools. And for me, DevOps is still not about tools.
0: Mm. It's
1: about the people. Why in the world are we doing this? Why are we doing automation of the different p- parts of the development and operations tool chains and, and building those tools. It's for the people. <laughs> it's mm-hmm, for all of right. those people trying to manage the chaos, man. So um, mm. it is about the people, right? And then when you're having to change, because we all do have to change, we all have to grow and change, bringing us together, bringing the the mainframe and the distributed together to help mm. each other see their sides of the story and realize that you know actually we all have the exact same goal (laughs) Mm. and if we will respect each other then we can figure out a solution to this problem right because each company has their own journey to take on their devops Mm. journey and they're going to face specific problems that that company is dealing with but if you have an open mind and you'll respect each other then you can solve any problem
0: I like that. Now, one of the things in the history of technology that's always been the case is we, we come up with the latest, you know, hot word or hot phrase and everybody needs to use it in all the meetings, you know, and, and the articles, and that kind of stuff. And so uh, one of the challenges, we have this bit of a power of Babel experience where everybody has a different meaning for the same word or different words for the same thing. Uh, and I think one of the challenges with DevOps is it's still a relatively new concept, even though it's built on established concept and culture. So maybe if you could kind of draw a picture of us, uh, both how DevOps ca- came to have a distinct existence, and what it actually means in terms of of the value of the results.
1: Okay, that's a big question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know you can handle it. (laughs) So uh,
1: let's start. I'm going to start at the end and then back up because I want to talk about my definition as you talk about, Tower of Babel here. What is the definition of DevOps? And there are several of them floating around out there. But the definition that I've come to is that DevOps is a philosophy that uh, it focuses on communication and coordination across teams with the goal of providing better better digital products and solutions to our customers as efficiently as possible. And so the front is a philosophy. And so to me, that is core of um how to fit it into your lexicon, right? And how to fit it into what you're talking about. Yeah, we do DevOps. Well, you don't actually do DevOps because it's not a thing, it's a philosophy. It's a thing that you're trying to achieve, it's a way of thinking, right? So that you can bring your teams together so that you can unify your processes. And where did that come from? It was really born out of agile practices out of necessity, I believe. <laughs> so when we think about agile methodologies, they were revolving really in the 90s and the agile manifesto itself was published in 2001. Mm. And so, okay, great. We're all going to break into smaller teams. We're going to develop more code faster and we're going to be really good at it. Well, that drove a very strong need for, wait a minute, if you're going to deliver software faster, how are we going to get it to our customers? How do we get it into operations? If you give me code every day, I really can't give it to my customers every day. That doesn't work for my business, right? Um, Some businesses can. If you're a SaaS model, you probably can. You could even do it hourly if you want to. But what if you're producing software that's mainframe based? How often do you really want to distribute that for your customers. Your business decides. But the whole idea behind build software faster and agile methods, DevOps then coalesced five or six years later. So around 2007, 2008, there started to be DevOps conferences and people realized we have to think about development and operations together. And That's great. The mainframe community went, yeah, we know about being agile, and we deliver software all the time. And of course, you have to put it into operations. You guys are silly. You know, maybe they didn't say that, but I think they were thinking this, right? Because Mm -hmm. the mainframe community really didn't adopt DevOps uh, Mm -hmm. at the same time. I think it's really been only since about 2015 that there's been this stronger push in the mainframe community to say, you know, DevOps is a is a real thing and it makes sense that, that maybe who knows, maybe the DevOps, the mainframe community said, Oh, okay, the distributed side of the house really finally understands and maybe we can come together now.
0: I <laughs> you know, think that? who knows? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, uh, do you think that the uh, slow but inexorable turn of generations on the mainframe might be part of the, you know, that at two, 2015, there might have been sort of a tipping point where we have enough new people who want to try new things uh, and the established people sort of uh, are, are giving way to them enough that something new like DevOps, which uh, an established person would just say, well, look, you know, um, I, I got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. This I've done this before, but the new person is like, I'm learning this as I go. I see differences. I want to bring this in. What do you think is that might be part of the reason?
1: I really do. Honestly, I think that the the generation gap is a real thing. And knowing that I'm part of that gap makes me realize, okay, Mm. so my children and and they're, you know, ultimately there's millennials and Gen Z are the ones that picked it back up. Right. And Mm. said, ooh there's a career here to be had. We can do this and there's a need here. Uh, I love Dr. Cameron Say and the the work he's doing mm. to, to train oh, yeah. up that generation and his passion, he's amazing. Um, mm. And so when you're training up that generation, so they're being trained on VS code and they're being taught uh, application programming on the mainframe to start with and you don't become a sysprog overnight, so you got to start them mm. somewhere. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then these young people join a company and they're used to using VS code, and they can Mm. do application programming, and then they talk to the gray hair who knows exactly what they're doing in ISPF and has been doing this for 30 years, and they can't Mm. communicate yet. Mm. And they learn, and I think they want to now. Like you said, there's a need. There's a driving need that, hey, gray hair says, you know, I actually want to retire sometime and play with my grandkids, and Mm. then – How do we, but they also love the mainframe and they love the products that they've been working on for decades. And that love and that passion is hard to overlook. And I think, you know, one of the things I've been talking about for several years now is you need to pair up your gray hairs with your new, new people coming on board and Mm. pair them up and have them teach as much as they will before they leave you (laughs) and help transfer that love and that
0: passion Mm -hmm. to that generation. It's so funny because that resonates so much with what what we were talking about before we started recording about how Rocket has kind of gone through that transition as well, Uh, that, that I understand that Rocket has gone from being very much focused on the technology to a much more community kind of focus. Maybe you can talk about that.
1: Well, Rocket has definitely been a product focused company in the past and really very strong in product for that matter. But really, just now, we are transitioning into focusing on our customers' stories and their journeys because it's about their modernization journeys. So over time, because we were a strong product-focused company, we were able to strengthen our portfolio and our development processes and, in fact, in fact, uh, one of my colleagues said yesterday, as we've worked on our DevOps processes with our mainframe software, we're drinking our own champagne. So mm. <laughs> we are, are learning on this uh, about how to do this, how do we move our source control off of the mainframe? How do we build mm. unified dev, DevOps processes so that whether we're working with uh, distributed or mainframe software, we can unify our processes and be more efficient? And this has, so we've implemented DevOps in our environment. And we realized uh, we've actually had a big transition in the past year. We have a new CEO, uh, used to be our mm-hmm. founding, founder, Andy Yunus, ran Rocket for a very long time. He mm-hmm. handed over to Milan Shetty. And mm-hmm. we are shifting our focus at this point to be about modernization. And Mm. we are focusing in three distinct areas, infrastructure modernization, which is the area I work in with automation and orchestration. And I also manage a JCL management product Mm. on the mainframe. So this is infrastructure modernization, but there's also data modernization that our customers are working on and application modernization. Mm. So while our customers don't necessarily look at it though in those three pillars, it's all, we have to modernize. (laughs) Is really the the thought, but we look at in those three channels so that we can really focus and help customers in those areas because we find that in our conversations with them, those are the areas that they're struggling.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, this this whole concept of modernization is so funny because on the one hand, it is obviously necessary. If you've got a clunky interface, it just isn't humane in the way that people have to use it and isn't consistent with what a new generation expects from their interfaces. That's worth updating to, to their perceptions. On the other hand, you know, it's not modernizing a car to get rid of the wheels, you know, um, you know, especially if you don't have anything to replace them. And I think there's too many people who want to modernize off the mainframe versus just modernize the business value regardless of where it resides. And I'm, I'm going to guess that, you know, whether you're talking infrastructure data or applications, that as you deal with your customers, one of the challenges is to help them think clearly about what is modernization that has a business value versus just attitude.
1: True. Uh, And in fact, we did some surveys, we did a rocket state of the mainframe survey recently. And one of the questions we asked them was how critical is their mainframe to business operations, Mm. we're trying to kind of get at the core of what matters to them as they're going through modernization. And Mm. 80% of the respondents said that it was very critical or critical to their operations. And that number is really high. Now we're, we're asking IT operations leaders about this. Mm, And so this is critical to our environment. And we, in fact, a lot of what happened, I think, is with the pandemic happening, many companies who had mainframes realized they'd been ignoring their mainframes. Mm. They were Taking them for granted, I think, in a lot of ways, where oh, this mainframe was just working and but it's expensive. In fact, I've hold, heard some companies <laughs> say, I'm trying to overcome this uh perception in my company that says that it's old and slow and expensive. <laughs> well, if it's old and slow and expensive, it's only because you haven't been doing something right,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. right they
1: need to be investing in their mainframes in the right way and in fact we find that more companies are investing in their mainframes than divesting Mm. and it's maybe the very smaller organizations that have a really tiny mainframe footprint and realize um you know this isn't really what we need we can do this a different way because we're a small company and we don't need the power of the mainframe fine that makes sense and they'll replatform but more than anything, people are realizing, wow, I need to update from my Z12 or Z13 um, or, or something older. We've seen Z10s still out there and in even older, right, that they're, they just kind of ignored them. And the modern mainframe is an amazing machine.
0: Oh, yeah. I think the the, the Z16. About that a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I'm of the opinion that the IBM Z16 is uh, the, the greatest business computer ever created although i've been advised by people i trust that yeah that's because the 360 originally was the greatest computer ever <laughs> i invested. and then kevin who who's like uh, you know one of the key people in the mainframe state at ibm told me uh as long as you say so far you know because <laughs> of course the, the the next one is apparently going to be mind-blowing even more so but it's 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 so amazing to take a look at this objectively and say this is the machine that embodies everything we've ever needed to do with business computing And so, obviously, then that having your customers understand that you know that whole relationship thing, and and I can see how the DevOps strategy then can be a really valuable tool for building a valid perception today and going forward.
1: Yes, definitely. And we definitely we work with customers that are upgrading to Z15s or Z16s at this stage. Uh, Some of them keep one version back because that's where they want to be. That that's fine. We also find a lot of our customers are not uh, de-platforming but they are outsourcing so the outsourcing market with several different outsourcers including kindrel and and nsono and there's more of Mm. them out there right that we Mm. tend we like to partner with as many as with them as we can because our customers Mm. are going with those outsourcers and that's Mm. introduced an entirely different set of challenges for those customers Um, it's maybe more cost effective for them they're also they're outsourcing because they can't find people to hire to work on their mainframes and so they think oh well we'll outsource to someone who has people and that way they can manage the mainframe for us and we can still get Mm -hmm. the transaction processing that we need and we can get the modern uh, hardware that our outsourcer is going to keep us up to date on modern hardware so we are finding and and i'm sure you know this too reg that their number of mips is still going up every year oh yeah Oh, yeah. But the number of actual sites running mainframes is going down. And mm-hmm. so that juxtaposition is happening, but it isn't because companies are necessarily getting off the mainframe, they're outsourcing. And so then okay. who's doing the development? And mm-hmm. if the outsourcer is doing the development, that's it's a challenging thing to coordinate from a people perspective, right? So this mm-hmm. is where the people become involved, and how do you make it flow? across your people. And especially if you're triggering things that have to happen both at the customer side and at the outsourcer side, as well as um, their whoever their customers are, right? So you've got the, all of these interactions happening and how do you make sure that all the right people are involved? How do you make sure they're triggered when they're supposed to be triggered? Uh, and for me, that comes back to automation you have to automate or else somebody's going to forget one of those connections and somebody's going to be left out and you're going to forget part of the chain. It's just human nature. We can't remember everything. And so what we as humans need to do is design the process. We need to figure out how is this going to flow for my company? What are all of the points to make this development and operations happen for my customers? And, and I've been, joining the value stream management uh, community, right? So there's a a value stream consortium that I've joined and it's going back all the way to the uh, manufacturing time, right? Where value streams are in manufacturing and you talk about your supply chains and you talk about how you get from creating your thing to delivering it to your customer and getting it out the door. So how many value streams does a software company have? How many Mm -hmm. value streams does a bank or insurance have? for building software, usually Mm. hundreds. And so then you've got hundreds of things that you're trying to produce and keep track of and make sure that it's high quality, that it's secure, and that you're delivering what matters to your customers. Mm. And it's way too big of a problem to try and solve all at once because there are too many moving parts, too many variables. <laughs> Let's break it down. And so that's why when we have talked with customers who are going through their DevOps transformations on their mainframe, we've had a few different conversations. I've had one where they came to us and said, oh, we tried our DevOps transformation and we tried a big bang approach and it fell flat on its face. How do we even get started on the, with this? They were totally overwhelmed because they said, oh, let's look at the big picture and do the big thing. Well, there's too many people involved and there's too many problems involved to do Mm. that. And so actually that triggered a talk that a Lunch and Learn I did at Share in February. Um, And so we talked about how do you get started, which triggered some other really interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is that most of these companies are starting with their source control. And saying, okay, well, we currently manage our source on the mainframe, but part of unifying a good DevOps processes across products is to get the source code off the mainframe. How are we going to do that? So there's some pretty good standards that are evolving and and we're able to help our customers make some choices or even support them as they go with open, open source solutions to make that happen. It's a very interesting journey to watch as they go through this. So there's other steps, of course, in the journey. And some challenges customers are saying is either they have trouble testing, so they're having problems because of automated testing. Part of DevOps Hmm. means you've got automated tests built in. Part of DevOps is you're running security scans all the time. Um, well, do mm. you have good security scanners for the mainframe? That's the challenging. That's a space that's not real strong right mm. now because the mainframe was always seen as secure, right? Mm. And it is secure, but, you know, the more we give it respect and the more people know about it, well, the more we need to watch out.
0: <laughs> mm. because
1: you know, there's bad actors yeah. all over the world. So, oh, yeah. you know, you've got to make sure that you're, doing all of those steps and taking care of the process.
0: Cool. Now, um, as, as I think about it, and you're talking about you know, it's, it, the what you're dealing with is basically uh, a gold mine of legacy. You know, that you've got so many different individual components and constituents and cultures, uh, and, and the, the biggest problem is it works if it didn't work it could just throw it all out and start from scratch but the problem is not only does it work it works so well and those shops that still have mainframes have by and large figured out there's like no other platform they can do this with at right. the cost effectiveness you know and so so to have to you know use the old long tail approach of having to look at each individual aspect rather than having to group things in and, and treat them as generically similar and that's one of the challenges, obviously on, on the mainframe is you've got stuff that's 58 years old uh plus whatever predated the mainframe and and has deep culture, and deep um uh, uh, roots in some cases that, that have to be genuinely understood, you know, even to move on the mainframe, let alone move off the mainframe. <laughs> and sure. so I guess the fact that the, the DevOps is a strategy that, that it becomes a very detailed and very specific strategy that you have to investigate each of these maybe you can talk about how do you then take a DevOps approach to strategically moving such an organization forward?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of steps there and Rocket offers some help. We have solutions and even support to help you through some of that. And my particular angle, I feel like one of the things that's left out is the automation, the centralized automation of what you're trying to do to pull things together. And so really, I think about it as three pillars to maximizing their approach to DevOps on the mainframe. They need to visualize how it's going to work. Mm. They need to design what they're trying to do. What is their company's goal? Their goal, right? Um, There's many unifying tools that we can use to save cost. So if you're using, I don't know, three or four or five different tools to do builds, do you need them? Do you need three or four or five uh, pieces to do? Like you don't need Jenkins and Azure DevOps and you maybe don't even need Jenkins and, and five other tools that it can support, right? So look at, a lot of what's happened is, is that companies have tried so hard to start moving in this direction that all the different teams in the company try out a bunch of different stuff and they get something working and they go, oh, look what we've done. And now they mm. can't walk away from it very easily. But mm. now you're paying for either support or tools that are doing the same thing across the company. So you look, you visualize first, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What matters to us? You need to have overarching goals to help your process. And you need to know, okay, because then it will help you if something doesn't matter. You can say, look, this does not matter to our overarching goals. Focus on the goal, eye on the prize, because it's very, very easy to get distracted. there are a lot of problems. We always have more problems to solve than we can right? Mm, This is true of any company, any process that we're doing. So, just stay focused for one thing. So, decide on the tools you want to use. Where do you want to unify your processes? Are there things you want to be unified through the mainframe? Fine. If Mm. you want it unified off mainframe, fine. Make a decision. Obviously, prove Mm. it out. Obviously, do your your proof of concept to make sure it's yeah. going to work for your company, but make your decision and unify. And then how does your process flow through those tools? What are the steps in that process? And this might mean bringing through several different teams and several different cross-functional teams even to say, okay, what does our process actually look like? <laughs> mm. How many times is it somebody making a phone call or sending an email to make that part of the process happen? Mm. Why isn't that more automated? So now we start to realize where we're wasting people's time because our people are our most critical asset that we have. Mm. Right. I don't like to call people assets because we're people, (laughs) but we're the ones that can do critical thinking. We're the ones that can see problems that can't be seen by normal um, tools. Right. So, you know, there's Mm. the whole machine learning and things that can help the thing about machine learning is it can show us things that we didn't know were there but we're the ones that still have to figure out what to do about what that machine learning told us right so it is about visualizing what you're trying to accomplish and you have to make realistic goals of course but once you can decide on your tools then you start to adopt the right tools and in some of our customers' cases, like I've mentioned, they'll decide, okay, we're going to move from whatever our mainframe source control tool is to Git. Okay, how, how are you going to do that? Um, and I have one of my uh, cohorts and, and my, one of my coworkers here at Rocket. He manages a product called Open App Devs for Z. That's been a very popular conversation because we've built ports to help customers do better uh open source work on the mainframe and it's secure and maintained so mm. maybe you have a whole other conversation with with peter Fendel. <laughs> so mm. but that's a step in the process and i find that what's happening in these conversations is that step is happening before they're ready to take the next step with what i would talk to them about is um or orchestrating that work, right? Automating that, mm. but I think even before you can automate, you have to coordinate. Okay, great, we've decided on the tools, you right. know what we're gonna do. So part of that coordination is how are we gonna cross the cultural boundaries even between our mainframe mm. developers and our open systems developers? Um, and how are we gonna plan to train everyone so that we can come together? So you can't, mm. you can't do the big thing is, hey, we're going to make this change. And in fact, that's what Rocket did. We're all, but we didn't say we're going to go DevOps in a year. What the thing we said was um, our president, Andy Eunice came to the company and said, we're all going to get our source code off of the mainframe into Git this year. So you have a whole year to get it done, figure it out, get it done. Now, he didn't dictate how everybody's supposed to do that. That's not his job. It was his job to, as an executive, to say, I endorse this activity. I want you to get mm. this done. It's an OKR. It's an objective of this company that we make this change this year. Mm. Right. So I find one of the things that, that troubles me a lot is where most of this change is happening from bottom up. And bottom up change happens a lot slower than top down change. And so if and with you
0: get... I'm sorry, with gaps with like massive ravines. It's like, you know, you're in the middle of a field of mountains with deep ravines. And so you've got like, you know, cobalt code that was written in the 70s and you're not even sure if you have access to the source anymore. And nobody seems to own it to find out. Right. Well, you got it top down. It's different.
1: Yeah, because then you you find a way to solve the problem because you're being paid Hmm. to do it then. There's a difference. Our motivations change, right? Because our boss, the boss's boss's boss has said, I will Hmm. pay you your salary and maybe a bonus Hmm. if you'll get it done. Okay, we'll figure it out. (laughs) So that motivation really matters. And how you coordinate your teams to get them to go do this, it does help Hmm. with the culture change to say, hey, my company as a culture wants to make this change. It's not just the guy in the distributed team that thinks I'm doing it wrong or it's not just the mainframe from the mainframe team. Tell the distributed guy, you guys are silly. You know, we're we're not pitting each other or against each other at that point. We have executive mandates that say mm-hmm. we are going to do this. And the companies that have succeeded in this transition I have seen have executive not just mandate but support right because it's one thing to say it it's another thing to support it we will spend the money on the tools we will spend the money on the training because you can't just say go do it yeah you have to fund it so i will i will say we're going to do it and i'm going to fund it now go mm-hmm. do it and this is so I'm sure important. there was planning in advance, of course. We didn't start like day one. Oh no, now we gotta go figure what we're gonna do. There was planning in advance. It was gonna be next year you're gonna make this happen, right? So this year plan, yeah. <laughs> next year make it happen. And and we can do some budgeting and figure that out. So it's not magic. It does take planning and that coordination. So step one is visualize. What is it that you want? Step two, coordinate. And I highly mm. recommend coordinating with executive management. Yes. The, if, and if they don't buy in, sell it to them, get them to buy in, because yes. you will be yes. more successful if you sell it. So those are steps one and two. Then mm-hmm. you have a clear direction. Then you know what you wanna do. You know the tools you wanna mm-hmm. do. You need to automate as much of that process as possible. And mm-hmm. that's where I call that orchestrating. So visualize, coordinate, then orchestrate because if you think about uh, a symphony there's a lot of moving Mm. parts you have hundreds of people Mm. in the symphony all playing different instruments and all even bringing different tunes and different parts of the melody and the the harmonies to the orchestra right Mm. it is it would be chaos without an orchestrator a director
0: Mm.
1: Mm. and That's what brings it together. That's what unifies it. And each person's part in that orchestra is very important. You can't do the job without them. So then you orchestrate this. And in our case, in an IT space with technology, Mm. that means automating it. And automating Mm. it from a single central solution that you can then see across your company what's going on. The customers that I talk to and support have... Hundreds of thousands of little tasks in their orchestra, right? Little Mm. things going on in their orchestra. And in the central tool, then they can see at the higher level that, yes, the melody's coming through and I can hear the harmony Mm. and and everything's flowing. Oh, wait a minute, that's out of tune. Let's go figure out what's going on Mm. over there, right? You can then from one place see what's going on. And so that's my perspective on how you get the most value about out of this is you really do a lot of planning up front and you invest in your mm-hmm. people up front and then you codify all of that wonderful work you did in your automation uh, which mm-hmm. rocket would love to talk to you about <laughs> but yeah
0: this, this is uh, a really important area because here's the thing you know, uh, we, we talked about the infrastructure, which is really where the automation is going to go. You talked about the data. You talked about the applications. But the funny thing is, I mean, applications, we have this wonderful practice of code management. And so when the, the bot says, I want you to get all your code and move it to, to Git or whatever, that with the exception of a few orphaned applications, by and large, we have practices of that code. We have testing practices. Of that. But then you take a look at automation, and automation isn't even always done with code. And when it is done with code it might be done with rex or it might be done with a proprietary language you know it it might be done automatically or it might be you know manually written might have been written 40 years ago and not changed since then and so you got you know although a knowledge of rex is essential it's not exclusively necessary and so on the one hand in understanding the implicit picture of your organization that the existing automation has but then in building new automation just having the tools that speak the language of the automation to have the same level of scrupulousness as you have with your applications must be a really massive um, uh, issue.
1: Well, it can be. And companies that do this well have automation engineers. So they mm. have people that that's their job and whole departments where there's even hundreds of people that participate in automation. And they mm. are describing, because you do have to describe every member of the orchestra Right. Every single task mm-hmm. yeah. that has to be executed has to be, mm-hmm. given, be given the full attention of their value. Right. And mm-hmm. so it could be as simple as defining a JCL that needs to run at a certain time. And it could be as complicated as saying, well, yeah, we need to run that JCL, but only when this file arrives here and that file arrives there and this mm-hmm. web page is updated and it's not mm-hmm. the third Monday of the fourth you know, I, who knows right. what this is, right? Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. where that advanced automation, but that one task is the thing that cares about that. <laughs> mm. Your whole automation of your whole end-to-end everything really doesn't care about that little thing, but mm. somebody has to do that. Somebody has to put right. that into your system and define those rules. And so it's all the more reason that once, once somebody has figured all that out, you save it so that it's repeatable every single time without flaws. Because somebody's going to put in the mm. rules for that one task that's going to do its thing. Maybe it is, I don't know, calling Jenkins to do the build because you want to do that after we've done some other kind of scan prior to commit. Or after commit, mm. and before Jenkins does its thing. So, But it's coded in. You know exactly what it's going to do. And you've tested it. Great. Now it will run forever without fail. Mm. Human beings cannot screw it up unless they stop it or get in the middle of it. (laughs) You have to do a concerted effort to get in the way because your automation, once codified, gets rid of that human error. I'm going to make a mistake. I I fat finger my password every single day, I promise. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So when you think about humans, we are – invaluable, right? Because we are the ones with the logic and the problem solving and the ability to see the 30,000 foot view, the ability to see in the smallest detail where there's a problem also. Mm. But we are really
0: prone to mistakes. <laughs> mm. Oh yeah, the Ur is <laughs> and, human to really follows them. <laughs> yeah, <going>. exactly.
1: <laughs> this, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so to mm. me, a lot of, and in my career, over 20 years in automation, 20 years ago, people were terrified of losing their jobs because of automation. Mm. And we and I still encounter that sometimes today, but it's less often because people are realizing, wait a minute, automation frees me to do my job. Yes. Automation frees me to do more. Mm. So automation really empowers these people to be able to grow more and get better at their jobs.
0: Well, and this is the thing, is you're not talking about discrete steps, you're talking about layers. And that's so obvious in in your DevOps approach that the visualization, which gets you going, remains critical so that you can continue to see and the coordination so you can continue to keep things running smoothly. So that, you know, as, as you do that, that orchestration, you know, just like the conductor of the orchestra has to see the people that they're conducting, even while they're doing the conducting, so that you've got these layers. But it's funny because it's a reverse, you know, the typical stack of a uh, network stack, you know, you have the lowest level stuff at the bottom for the foundation layer, but the foundation layer is here is a human layer at the top, you know, and you have to keep that human layer of, of the visual, of the coordination in order to keep everything else running. It's so fun to see how people act who always, only, ever were the essential part of all of this.
1: Yes. I agree completely. <laughs>
0: So uh, that said, um, how do you see the future of DevOps, and especially as uh, your role and Rocket's role in this as, as we move forward? Obviously, this is, as you pointed out, an ongoing journey. And, and uh, uh, you know, having found one level of automation working well, we naturally level up to the next level. You know, And so I, I think the good opportunity to sort of visualize and say, okay, what does the future look like decades from now as we successfully uh, take on this and move on to what comes next?
1: It's dangerous dangerous asking someone who is not a futurist that question.
0: Even more interesting answers.
1: Right, because we know actually less. So take this for what it is. I do see a world where we have figured out how to break down the silos between mm. our platforms. That we see every computer that's in our data centers as an, another system where we do business work. And we work in a unified way across our systems. And we have developers who work on the mainframe and love the mainframe, even 30, 40 years from now, and that we've built generation after generation that continues to love the mainframe, for one thing. Mm -hmm. So that we we don't do the gap thing like we did in the mm. 2000s right um so everybody coming into the it space 2000 to, through 2010 about i want to say pretty much we skipped all of them uh, who entered the job market let's not do that again in the future we've learned that lesson the mainframe is here to stay for one thing mm. i think learned that lesson let's in the future, we've learned that lesson. We know that. The right. mainframe is a powerful, high transaction, amazing computing machine that now handles quantum computing for us.
0: Mm, and yeah.
1: it's managing a lot of the machine learning and AI that's happening because it can handle the high transaction and quantum computing, right. right? So there's the mainframe plays a critical piece, but it's not more important than the other pieces mm. of our network because everything makes our business run. I still need my web servers. I still need good backup systems. I still need, I still need all the pieces. I still need my end, my users at my site to have their own laptops, their own operating systems, and everybody needs to be flowing together, right? So that respect of, to me, my future, there's no more silos, right? Mm -hmm. We've broken down the silos, and we come together to automate across all of those silos to make them, best use of everything at our fingertips we have so much power Mm. at our fingertips Mm -hmm. and if we work together and we coordinate across those teams we can elevate what we have to another level because we come together instead of infighting right not exactly Mm. fighting but at least the passive aggressive Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to you thing yeah right Mm -hmm. Um, but instead we bring our power together and we do something even more there's going to be some new technology in 30 years, obviously. We've we've learned so much in the last, you know, even five years. I can't imagine in 30 years what comes. But I do believe that automation continues to be key. The automation is still the way to free people to do their jobs. Now, what kind of automation? I don't know. There's robotics that come out now, and they talk about robots doing certain jobs I don't know there there's places for automation and there's places for people and I think Mm. realizing that we can invest in our people to do things that only Mm. humans can do yes don't be afraid of automation put automation where it frees our people to bring their whole self to work and their whole self to bring that value and when I bring my whole self which knows this much mainframe (laughs) (laughs) right? To you. And we work together because you have history with mainframe Mm. and love of mainframe. And you have all of these ideas that can bring the power of the mainframe forward. And I have an open mind and say, oh my gosh, if you can give me that piece from the mainframe, look at what we can do from Linux or Windows. Mm. And together we Mm -hmm. can produce this for our company. We came up with a new product together. Mm. So that's where I see that Automation really frees the people to be creative, the people mm. to solve problems that we don't even know about yet because we're the ones that discover it. So my future is more mm. one where we work together better because silos are not there and we know how to bring, we flow, right? So the, the whole, the next level beyond DevOps has already started revealing itself as value stream management. And it it's a lot about what I've already talked today, where you do value stream mapping. That's one of the steps. And that's that visualization piece where you're mapping it out. Um, But to take Mm. it and define the different sections. Okay, great. Value stream management is the next big buzzword maybe after DevOps. (laughs) Mm. What's what's after value stream management? Well, value stream management is all about flow. And I love that Mm. with value stream management because it is about flow. How are Mm. we...
0: Flowing
1: and you don't
0: flow if there's silos. Mm. Mm. So you yeah. yeah. remind me of uh, Mihali's uh, you know, Mikhail or uh, Mihali's uh writing about flow and just that that that's experience of, of being one with the task, you know, and and, and <laughs> how really that that's such a humanizing experience. Uh, and yes. the other thing that you really make me think of as you talk about this is there's something I've gone around telling people a lot more recently is when you write a line of code on the mainframe, expect your great grandchildren to inherit maintaining it, you know, and, <laughs> and it, we, computing is so young. We haven't realized that we're creating the future and that, you know, you look back 40 years. That, that's great grandchildren. It's two generations. You look back 40 years and stuff that you or, or your parents have written is being inherited by kids who could easily be, you know, uh, generations later in the same family. And so that, that long-term thinking you're talking about and the, the, the essential humanity of it, I think is so important. Uh, Any anyway, closing thoughts about Rocket or humanity or, or, or the future of, of the mainframe or DevOps? Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> you're the all time. about big questions, aren't <laughs> you, Rich? <laughs> uh, what, what can I say? I get such great answers when I ask them.
1: <laughs> um, you know, mostly my closing thoughts are that if you are going through a DevOps transformation, Don't forget that it's a personal, it it is, it's a company by company journey. I say a personal journey, but each company has a unique journey and that's okay, right? I think people are looking for standards and one of the things that drove me crazy about learning agile was they kept saying, well, you'd ask for a prescriptive way about doing something. They'd say, well, how do you think you should do it? It's like going to a shrink. Mm -hmm. Telling you, well, what are you (laughs) thinking about that? Mm. And and it pushed back on on us to solve the problem. Right. Mm. And so you do need to solve the problem for your company. What is the right first step for your company to do DevOps transformation on your mainframe? Um we suggest that you know you need to visualize and you need to coordinate and you need that executive buy-in first, but then you still need to know, okay, technically, what's the first step? (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that's you to figure out yes we can tell you we've heard a lot of companies wanted to do source control management first great maybe that's not you maybe you have five different automation solutions at your company and they all say there are centralized automation solutions but you have five of them well you're not unified maybe that's where you want to start and you want to bring everything together into a single automation solution Mm -hmm. that's something that rocket can help you with um so there what it comes down to is really starting with that visualization Mm. and it's not visualizing what the rest of the world is doing it is taking input from the rest of the world it is asking rocket it is asking reg it is asking 10 other people you know what have you seen what have you heard other companies doing i don't know what i don't know please help me right ask for people to help you with what you don't know and then look at your own company Visualize what's going to work for your company and just start. And I suggest mm. starting small and a uh, customer I was talking to yesterday. he was like, yeah, we realize we really want to crawl before we walk because <laughs> they're like not mm. wanting to run even anytime soon. Right. Mm. They're, they're at the crawl stage. That's great. Figure out where you are, accept it and figure out how to grow from there and take your journey forward. And, do come to rocket if you have some questions we have many solutions in this space to help you on that journey and there's not just one solution and, and I talked about a few of them today that are related but we have a bunch of solutions that can help customers on these journeys so we would love to have a conversation with people who are on these journeys and see where we can help because for us it's about meeting our customers where they are and helping them get to where they want to go and <laughs> I use that a lot because uh, as far as I'm concerned, we can't sell them any software they don't already want, right? We can't help them on their journey if they don't know where they're going. And so we want to help them understand their journey if they don't yet, because maybe they don't have a vision yet. And we can help them focus on a few things so that they can come up with a vision. Okay, when you're ready, let's talk about some solutions that can help you with the things you've decided upon. So we would love to be part of your journey. And I, I think that's maybe where I should end.
0: Awesome. Well, Anna, this has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm sure our, our listeners are also going to get a lot out of this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.
0: So I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to the weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harbin.